Let's pray together. Lord, we just pray that you uh, show us the way, uh, that as we hear your word, that we'll truly hear it and apply it to our lives. Some of what uh, I'm going to say today, we've heard many times, but I found in our calling and our lives as Christians, we need reminders uh, over and over again. So Lord, I pray that we'd be reminded to give our life for you because you gave your life for us. We ask all this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, we're turning to John 12 today, and we spent a good deal of time on the first eight verses of John 12 when we looked at the character study of Mary and talked about her being a worshiper. We spent a good bit of time on verses 9 to 11 when we looked at Lazarus and talked about how he was a great evangelist. Of course, verses 12 to 19 cover the triumphal entry, and we've Talked about that, of course, many times on Passion Sunday or Palm Sunday. So today I want to jump ahead a little bit uh, to John 12, verses 20 to 26. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks or some Gentiles. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And by the way, let me just say as an aside that I'm not covering in the uh, message, this phrase, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Whether I'm your pastor or someone else is, or someone else is preaching, you should say to them, sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's who we want to see. That's who we want to see exalted. You should hold us accountable for that week after week. I'm being serious. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And then Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Amen. Whether you're younger or older, you have likely heard the Rolling Stones song, Satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction, right? The song was released in June of 1965, and it was the product of Mick Jagger and Keith Richards' songwriting. Interestingly, according to Rolling Stone magazine, the guitar riff came to Keith Richards in a dream one night in May of 1965 in his Clearwater, Florida motel room while the Stones were on their third U.S. tour. The magazine also reports that the next day, Mick Jagger sat by the pool at that same motel and he wrote the lyrics in about 10 minutes. Even more interesting is that the Rolling Stone magazine's 2021 list of top 500 songs of all time had it listed still as number 21. So, no, excuse me, number 31. So 55 years later, this song is still popular. Why? Well, apologies to Mick Jagger. I don't think it's because of his good looks and charm. 
Nor do I believe myself that it's because Keith Richards' guitar riff is so amazing, though some rate it in the top 20, so opinions vary. But I believe it's still popular because it touches a nerve. It resonates in the hearts of men and women whose cry is that their lives are unfulfilling and dissatisfying. Indeed, they can't get no satisfaction. I believe we learn in today's text how to have satisfaction in life, but it's going to come in a way uh, that our world doesn't think about. It's found in our relationship with God and God alone. As Augustine famously said in his confessions, you made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Or as people have paraphrased Blaise Pascal's words, We have a God-shaped hole in our hearts, and nothing or no one else can fill it. The point being that you and I find ultimate satisfaction in life, not in pleasures or popularity or possessions or even in people. The life and the satisfaction we seek comes ultimately in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Our text specifically points us toward this satisfaction in life in three ways. That life comes through death of self, life comes through exchange, and life comes through service, specifically service to Christ. Before we get there, let me remind you briefly of the setting. Jesus' public ministry is coming to an end. In fact, he's he's arrived in Jerusalem, and he's arrived for the final days of his earthly life and ministry. Of course, he arrived to a huge crowd, and he arrived to to shouts of praise. But these people were still confused. Uh, They were still thinking about an earthly king. And a king he was and is, but he was not the kind of king they expected, right? So here he was in Jerusalem. And... There was the feast of the Passover was going on, so many people were coming. And our text begins, verse 20, by telling us that some Greeks had come to worship. These were obviously God-fearing Greeks or Gentiles. So verse 21, they came to Philip and they told him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. We're not sure why they went to Philip. Perhaps Philip was the first disciple they encountered. Another reason that has been suggested is that Philip is a Greek name. So these Gentiles may have gone to him because they were more comfortable with him. Regardless, verse 22 tells us that that Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went to Jesus. And you find that over and over with Andrew. He's taking people to Jesus. He's seeking after Jesus. He's showing people who Jesus is. And what's interesting here is that with the coming of these Greeks, it's some way communicated to Jesus that the climax of his work on earth was at hand. Verse 23, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Up until this point, Jesus has been saying, wait, wait, not now, not now. The time isn't yet. When his mother asked him to to do something about the wedding, in John chapter 2, he said, my hour has not yet come. 
When Jesus' brothers tried to get Jesus to go to the Feast of Booths in John 7, Jesus says, my time has not yet come. In John 8, Jesus taught in the temple treasury, but no one arrested Him. Why? Because His hour had not yet come. It must have shocked the disciples that now when a handful of Greek strangers show up, suddenly Jesus is saying, my hour has come. And in the context of the triumphal entry, the disciples and the crowds must have thought, oh, finally, finally his hour has come. Finally, he's going to become a king. Finally, he's going to overthrow Rome and all is going to be well. He's going to set up his kingdom right here in Jerusalem. But what Jesus said next must have shattered any illusions they had. Any illusions of conquest. Look at verse 24 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls unto the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. A grain of wheat's potential is when it dies. Jesus is using the the natural process of sowing seed to illustrate a spiritual truth that there can be no fruitful life unless we die to self. Jesus, of course, is pointing ahead to His own death. Jesus died so that we might receive the fruit and the blessing of His death. His death produced the fruit of life in us. But Jesus is also pointing to the spiritual truth that if we want abundant life, you and I have to die to self and live to Jesus. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Romans 6.6, we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And then verse 11, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Beloved, life comes when we die to the old sinful self and live for Christ. Life comes when you and I are regenerated by the Holy Spirit and the old self has died and we're brought to life in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is what? New creation. Our usefulness, our fruitfulness is tied to our willingness to surrender to Jesus. Have we? Are we continuing to die to self in order to live for Christ? Are we continuing to die to self in order to live for Christ? And surrendering to Jesus means that you and I are going to to find life through an exchange. Verse 25, whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The call here is to exchange the fleeting pleasures and passing security of this life for the abundant joy of the eternal. 
It's to place a higher value on eternal things than on earthly things. The, the call for the abundant life that Jesus offers is what He said in Matthew 6, 33, that we are to seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness and then trust Him to take care of all the other needs. We're, we're to trust Him rather than always grasping for everything we want. Colossians 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And the phrase, set your mind, beloved, could simply be translated, think. It, and it's in the present tense, so it indicates a continuous action. He's telling us here, think on heaven where Christ is seated and keep thinking on heaven. Keep your focus there, not on the fleeting things of earth. As Jesus said, if you try to hold on to them, you will lose them. And here's the truth, whether you and I want to admit it or not, at some point, we lose everything associated with this life. We cannot hold on to our youth, no matter how much we try or how many products we use. We cannot hold on to our athletic ability, no matter how much we work out. If we live long enough, all of us to some extent or another, are, we're going to lose mental capacity no matter how much we work crossword puzzles or read or play Wordle. It's not going to help eventually. We can't hold on to our loved ones forever and our loved ones can't hold on to us forever. Not in this life. It's only a matter of time. So Jesus is saying prepare now. Corey Ten Boom once put it this way, I've learned to hold all things loosely so God will not have to pry them out of my hands. I hold them loosely so the Lord won't have to pry them out of my hands. Isn't that a great mindset? And I think it's one that will ultimately give us satisfaction. What's our mindset? And remember, a mindset is something deliberate. It's a deliberate act of the will. We can set our minds on taking a vacation. We can set our minds on buying something. We can set our minds on completing a project. What's our mindset? Are we deliberately setting our minds on the things above? Where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father? Or are we deliberately setting them only on the things of this life? We can set our minds on Christ. We can set our minds on His kingdom, but we're going to have to be deliberate, deliberate about it. We're going to have to pray, Lord, help me set my mind on the things above. Lord, help me focus on Your kingdom. Help me exchange the fleeting joy of earth for the abundant joy of eternal life. And then there's one additional paradoxical statement about life in this text. Verse 26. If anyone serves me, he or she must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him or her. The result of dying to self and focusing on the eternal should lead you and I to a desire to serve Christ. 
we, we begin to learn that life comes through service, particularly service to Jesus. Now, for today's world, that may be about as paradoxical as it gets. In a world where volunteerism is reported to be at a very low level, a life of service may seem like anything but life-giving to many listening today. But here's the thing. Research actually shows that at some level, people have a desire to serve. We at least understand that it's important. Recent research indicated that 90% of Americans would like to volunteer somewhere. But unfortunately, desire never leads to action. Only 25% of those same people actually volunteer. And before we start saying things like kids these days, and well, you know this younger generation, some of the research indicates that people aged 35 to 44, so we're talking about people who still have children at home, people who are still working full-time, research shows that they actually volunteer at slightly higher rates than retirees. So I think we all need a renewed call to service. And I'm talking about a renewed call to service to Christ. How do we serve Him? Certainly we can serve Him here in the church. There's always something that needs done around here. If you're good with your hands, you might talk with the property team. In fact, this is a time to, to think about uh, joining any of the teams. This is a time, teams, for you to, to share again with the church, I think, what you're doing so that people know what you're doing. One of the reasons people don't volunteer is they don't know what they're volunteering for. So maybe we need to help uh, people see uh, what that is. We can serve in the community. I think if we do a little looking around, there's plenty to do in our community. We serve the Lord, I think, by living more holy lives, uh, living in, in accord with, with God's Word. Uh, we, we serve when we live a, a life of faithfulness. Uh, we're, we're living according to the teachings of God's Word and that service. One simple shift we might take towards service. Think about this. One simple shift that we could take towards service might be changing our view on Sunday morning worship. That is where we don't view it as the main event. Where you come and you're blessed and you are entertained. That we begin to think of it less as a classroom or a concert hall and more as a gym, gymnasium where you come to be trained to go out and to serve. To go out and serve our community. My friend's closet, for example, probably struggles to keep enough help. There's another opportunity uh, to serve. But we see what we do here is training and encouraging to go out. Life comes in service, beloved, but you and I must be intentional. I believe the life and the satisfaction that we all seek can only come through Jesus. I, I personally have found no other way that brings the kind of joy that serving Jesus and living for Jesus brings. But it's paradoxical to much of what our world teaches. 
Life comes through death to self and living for Jesus. Life comes by exchanging the fleeting pleasures and the passing security of this life for the abundant joy of the eternal. Life comes in service to Christ, which of course means service to others. Will we surrender all and find that in giving our life to Jesus, we find the satisfaction we all seek? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, may we die more and more to self and live, and live for You. It's true that when we trust in You, Christ, that the old man or woman is gone and a new creation is formed, but I have found in my own life that old man keeps wanting to come back to life. That old man keeps wanting to have his way. That old man keeps wanting to selfishly live for himself. So Lord, would you give us new life? New life in Christ. Would you indeed crucify the old man or woman? That we might exchange the fleeting pleasures and the passing security of this life for the abundant joy of eternity. Oh Lord, may we indeed seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Lord, show us that life comes in service to You and that service is by serving others. May it be our great joy to serve You by serving the people in the community around us. May it be our great witness unto You that our satisfaction comes in relationship with You and worship and service unto You. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be all glory, praise, and honor today and forevermore. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you today and forevermore. Amen.